0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I wanted to lead us in exploring consciousness and sexuality tonight. On the way here, I uh, thought of the, what started coming through my mind was the old... Elvis Presley song, Fools rush in. <laughs> and uh, where, where Wise Men Fear to Tread. And I, I uh, just want to say that, um, <laughs> I don't know which I'll be tonight, but uh, <laughs> I can see where it's going already. I want to say right off the bat, uh, we're exploring together. I profess to be no expert on this topic, but I certainly have thought about it once or twice in the last uh, thirty-three years since I've been practicing, um, and how to how to real what this mean, what it means to have this part of our life as part of our spiritual practice. It's such a a powerful energy. I don't have to say anything to you to, uh, that's new around that. It's so powerful, this... But what is, what is this feeling that, we, that we're wired up for? This, I think of it as an, an urge, an urge to merge. We are wired up biologically, physi- physiologically for this, uh, to yearn for connection. To yearn for intimacy, um, if nothing else, so that life can create itself. And it's not anything to be um, ashamed of, or to pretend is not there. It's just part of who we are, part of a human being a human being. And as we all know, it's a source of great intimacy and deepest connection, or one of the deepest ways of connecting an expression of a particular kind of of love. And it's also a source of tremendous confusion, trauma, pain, and um, besides what we bring to the table the cultural input that we take in at these, in this time of species on the planet. The Buddha was talking about this 2,500 years ago, but there was not the barrage of messages that we get continuously then that there is now. So that complicates things all the more saying, this is going to do it for you, and having our senses bombarded with images expressly for the purpose of stimulating us in that way. This is, uh, by the way, is the one quote I'll use from this book, which is a pretty decent book, called, If the Buddha Dated, (laughs) uh, a handbook for finding love on a spiritual path. and she says, the author Charlotte Castle uh, says, "When we don't find meaning in life, we seek stimulation instead. What is this force of sexuality when When you think of it, when I think of it on one level, and I, I've shared this from time to time, sometimes I think of myself as an alien visiting from another planet, just checking out what the human experience is like, you know, reporting back to the mothership. I did, like take that stance, oh, what is this these guys go through? And when I look at it from that perspective, I hope that's not too weird. But, uh, you should try it sometime. It really, it takes the whole drama out of everything, you know. When you think of it, it's just um, it's just bodies rubbing together, right? Doesn't sound very hot or erotic. On the one hand, you know this contact, uh, it can mean so much. It's not to dismiss that, you know, the or, or make light of it. Though that rubbing together or that contact between two people. You know, even shaking hands is a is a a connection. You're connected with somebody, but different ways that the body can touch have such powerful effects and can either bring two people closer or complicate relationships disastrously at times. What is it that happens when two beings touch? there's an exchange of our being, there's an exchange of, of energy, of who we are, and when there's a warm feeling on both sides, there's a, a sharing of, for want of a better word, love. And I, when I think about this, you know, I was thinking about bodies rubbing together. Well, one of my one of the the great recipients of my love is my dog pal, and when I get on the floor and i 'm there with him and he 's going like we do our dance and there 's definitely an exchange of love we're just we 're just sharing love together you know he doesn 't know the words although i 've just read that dogs know about hundreds and the average dog about one hundred and sixty five words that it, it, so he knows some words. But mostly I'm I'm kind of mumbling to him, "Oh, you're so good," or "I so love you," and he's just mm, like that. And we're in to to some extent, you know, it's certainly not sexual, but we are sharing love through our being. And when we think about, and then I, cuz I started thinking about the the term making love, what is making love? mean? What does that mean, making love? When two beings come together and, and in that connection, in that heart connection, the love that they're sharing is, is creating something greater than what they each possess by themselves. And it's so great. We, you create love together and it can be such a powerful force that you can create life out of that love. So, I'll talk good. Well, let's see, what should I do? First, I want to say that things, at least for me, get a lot easier as you get older. Yeah. Easier in the fact that it's less complicated. Um, when I was younger. So many ways that I caused confusion and pain for myself and for others. Um, I was thinking about it as I was putting my thoughts together. It was like I was a living Homer Simpson kind of going, duh, you know, duh, duh. I can't believe I did that over and over. I, I read, I think I mentioned it, I don't know where it's here or some other place recently. Uh, I read a, a book called Stranger in a Strange Land, which really influenced me. It's a great book. And uh, it, 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 was, it, it completely turned me on to the fact that any being could connect with any other being, and the, I think the phrase that would be used over and over is, thou art God, where it was a spiritual experience. And I thought, yeah, that's how things should be. But it was much more complicated than I could have imagined. And uh, it's really painful when I when I think about how unconscious I was. I knew I was confused, but how unconscious I was in my you know, late teens, starting early 20s and throughout my 20s. You know. It takes a while to start to... took me a while to start to figure this stuff out. But what amazed me, as I was looking back in those days and see it all around me and hear stories all the time, is that this force is so powerful that we want to be close with someone for a short period of time who we might not even want to talk to afterwards. Isn't that amazing? or be with, or maybe we even dislike. It just kind of blows the mind. (laughs) Yet, we want to be as intimate as two people can be with each other. You know that that feeling afterwards? You know, that the moment of pleasure is so seductive that it obscures all the other moments of dukkha that follow. How many? I can't believe how many times I had to do that before I kind of, kind of got it. That, that feeling, that empty feeling, like, oh gosh, why did I do that? Why did we do that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and whether you are, you know, in your twenties or, uh, or or teens, certainly, and, and it's kind of a, it's a, it's a biological setup, how teens with raging hormones have, you know, are just negotiating and learning and have very little judgment or wisdom. It's, it's like it's not fair the way the game is set up. Um, but you don't have to be young, you can be a Roshi or a Lama or a, a clergy or a Vipassana teacher or whatever to do some really stupid things around this energy. Often, in, in the last few decades, when I'd see the thoughts go go through my mind, um, the what would give me my... what would put the brakes on, um, besides the fact that I, I just wouldn't act on those thoughts, but I would have this picture of... Um, the inquiring mind, big spread, you know, the big news. That that sometimes you need some restraint, something to restrain you from acting like a jerk, you know. So some of the some words first from the Buddha or and the Buddhist uh, Buddhist perspective uh, in Theravadin Buddhism in the Pali Canon. There's no bones about it, that um, women, I'll just say this like it is, women are considered dangerous. Now they're dangerous not because they're bad. They're thought of as being dangerous to a monastic through no fault of their own, but because they, just by their being, Will activate can activate the desire in a monastic in a monk. So in the monastic tradition for um, for quite some time you know, there's uh, and probably to this day there's a, a there's a, a fear of sex. It's a it's a scary topic. Mahasi Sayadaw, the great um, master, Burmese master, came to um, Insight Meditation Society on the three-month retreat that I sat in 1979. He, he came there and somebody asked him, it was a question and answer about uh, period, and somebody asked him about sex, what he thought about sex. And he said, um, it's, it's gross, it's base, and uh, disgusting. And later on, there was what's called Dharma Follies, where the uh, the, the yogis, in their integration, um, kind of do a takeoff, like a, a parody on on the whole retreat experience. And this one really great uh, female yogi said, um, uh, "Yes," uh, and she was pretending to be the Sayadaw. Sex is engrossing, basic, and worth discussing. Yes. <laughs> And the monastics uh, have as their um, one of their contemplations, as a deconditioning over that force that that we're wired up for, is the 32 parts of the body, which we've gone through the Satipatthana Sutta. You know, you you instead of seeing, wow, that's a really neat package. There is, you know, hair, teeth, nails, phlegm. Bile, pus—you know—you do that over and over, and it kind of deconditions the. You know, it's not what you do for a Hollywood film to, uh, you know, to get your lead star to go through the thirty-two parts of the body. Who is that person really? And of course, there's the third precept that says, basically, not to cause harm through our sexuality. As a monastic, it's not to, not to. Uh, um, to let yourself be f- inflamed at all, let, let that fanning desire uh, at all be played out. And for lay people, it's just not cause not to cause harm or suffering. Now, in the Theravadin world, certainly as the teachings have come here to the West, uh, we've wanted to um, update the whole experience and incorporate sexuality in our, in our practice. but in the uh, other traditions, particularly in the Tibetan tradition, um, sexuality is a very um, natural energy that's talked about. and if you you'm sure you've seen Tibetan tankas where there's the, the union, the sacred union of uh, male and female form, and in, in the higher forms of Vajrayana practice, the, the yogi is making love with the world, not only sexually, but it's like there's the there's not a fear of, of um, all the juicy elements of life. There is a transmutation in seeing it as, as practice. Um, here's a book, I thought I'll read one little piece from... Passionate Enlightenment uh, by Miranda Shaw, Women in Tantric Buddhism. It's all about Tantra and Buddhism, the the real Tantra Buddhism. And this is a different take than Mahasi Sayadaw. Uh, In addition to the classical scriptures, Tibetan sources on supreme yoga practice, termed Anuttara yoga in the Tibetan context, uphold the requirement of union with a human partner for the attainment of Buddhahood, Tsongkhapa, one of the great um, masters, softened the implication of its absolute necessity, but conceded that it is extremely difficult to in- to attain liberation without a partner. Isn't that interesting? Elsewhere, he stated that the most highly qualified practitioners should practice with a human partner, while a less qualified one should practice with an imaginary one. Uh, Buddhist literature perennially has stressed the importance of I won't go into that. Then later on it goes into uh, but if you're in in some sects, they say that it's higher to do it with an imaginary partner and Less, less high to do it with a uh, with an, an actual one. Who knows? But anyway, you get the idea. There's lots of different takes on this. Right? We lay people in the West um, kind of have the the middle path of intimacy between those two, where most of us yearn for it but are scared to death of it, like. Mahasi Sayadaw, I shouldn't say most of us, but many of us, this middle path, particularly around intimacy, just to talk about that piece. Sexuality is one thing, but intimacy is is really what sexuality is pointing to, um, that we yearn for it, and yet it's really scary. Even with a person we commit to sharing our life with. I just find that quite extraordinary. And in our Puritan culture, we have both worlds. In our Puritan American culture, where we get bombarded with these images, and we're fascinated. There's also guilt, shame, embarrassment. I remember a few you're old enough to remember when Jimmy Carter was president, and he said he had he he was the most honest. He was he he got nailed for it a number of times because he was just honest, and he said, "Yes, I've had lust in my heart," and they really got it. They never let it go. So we have this bizarre paradox of being fascinated, titillated, and yet shocked and shamed. Hmm. Where our minds go, we have no control over, do we? I hope you get that after being around the scene for a while. You can't control where your mind goes. What a relief that you can't control your mind. Because then you don't have to blame yourself, or feel guilty, or... It'll go anywhere. But what you can control, little by little, is acting on the thoughts that come through. And the ability to have clarity about what they will... What it will feel like when you act on a thought. You know, that... As I think I've said before, I think of the whole spiritual journey sometimes as learning the power of delayed gratification. What is this going to feel like afterwards? I uh, went through a period when I was, um, it was 1975, when I, um, a year after I got into practice, this practice, and I joined that scene that I've mentioned uh, from time to time in New York with Ramdas. Um, and there was a whole sadhana that we had to do. Sadhana, whole spiritual practice from meditating and diet and yoga and lots of different things. And one of them was that uh, we had to be um, celibate for that time. So I was celibate for a year. Now, that's not to say I was so active before or after, but it was like I was consciously, okay, this is it. No payoff. In fact, it was a great relief to you know that I didn't have to feel like, well, what's wrong with me anyway, um, when I when I was not being active. But that was a tremendous learning experience because during that time um, I could see all my habits just staring me in the face, and there I'd I'd be you know ready to go out and. Uh, go for a walk or do whatever I was doing outside, and I'd be kind of still preening in the mirror, and then I'd realize no payoff. There's not going to be, there's not, what are you doing? There's not going to be, even if somebody says, gee, I think you're hot, which never happened to me in my life, (laughs) no payoff, forget it, right? And I could see, like, over the course of A few months. It took me, it was about four months, because I I remember after about that time, I kind of saw this and kind of got, oh, it's a relief. I'll go out however I look. You know, I don't want to look like a complete schlamozzle, you know, (laughs) but I'll I'll look clean enough, but I'm not looking for any response. And what started to happen was, um, there was a great lightening of my mind, created so much space in my mind and I started to relate to people who I would normally be attracted to. There was an aesthetic there, but it was like, oh, I started to see them for who they were underneath. And interestingly enough, I I saw as the time went on, because I wasn't objectifying them, they wanted to hang out more with me. I thought, oh, this is interesting, you know. <laughs> I, this is what they say, you let go and you get it all, you know.
1: And I really
0: do um, suggest if this is something that you are working with in your life, that you take a period of time, you know, whether it's a, a month or however, to just make that agreement with yourself and see what comes up. Then uh, a few years later, I'll tell you one more story about myself and then... Uh, things. Uh, I uh, did a Vipassana retreat uh, down at Yucca Valley, and this is, they still have very large retreats. This year they had a a really large one in those days. They'd have like 150 people or so on retreat, and it was one of my early retreats. And out of 150 people, at least half, usually about 60% were women in those days, Um, Probably even now, too. There's bound to be one or two that catch your eye. And you have what's called the classical VR, or Vipassana Romance, experience. Where, in complete silence, somebody who's there, who seems to be always where you are, and you're cosmically, supposedly connected in your mind, you know... And you can go through everything from courtship to marriage to divorce, even, in, without saying a word, right? You know, and in VR, I don't recommend it, it because it's, it's, it's dukkha, but when it comes, you know, there it is, okay? And on this retreat, there was definitely one person who, you know, just did it for me. And there was a second person, that was number two. And there was a number three and a number four, There were four. And I'd be doing walking meditation. Oh, there's number three going by. (laughs) And what happened was, um, after a week of the retreat, number one left the retreat. All of a sudden, the Zafu was gone. She was nowhere to be found. And it was like... (gasps) You know, you're in silence, so there's nobody you can complain to anyway. And I... And I thought, oh my goodness, but I, we didn't have a chance to blah, blah, blah. And, but what happened was, after about a day or two, I didn't think about her every, anymore. All three other people moved up a notch. <laughs> and it was so clear that this was just desire looking for someone to land on is very informative, illuminating. We just have this desire to connect and oh, they're the one, you know, or well they'll do, you know. Or you know <laughs> and it really brought me back to looking inside myself and seeing what is this force that is wanting so much to land? How do you react? Or how do you change your demeanor or your way of being when somebody you find attractive enters a room? You Notice the difference? Minding your business, and all, all of a sudden, you know. Just taking a look at that. I'm not, I'm not going to give you any you know, final answers. I'm just going to explore. By the way, we're not going to do any dyads tonight. Just in case you were... <laughs> You know, in case you were fearing, oh my God, a dyad or a triad, I know, I'll spare you. I thought about that right away. Uh, how do you feel when somebody who just you know, what is it, tickles your fancy, as they say, uh, comes in? And you just noticing how your mind goes, or however it goes around this topic, what's most important... And liberating is to become aware of our conditioning. And we can have all kinds of conditioning. As I say, sexuality is a place that it can be a a source of great uh, delight and and connection, and also a source of real pain. So the more we can be aware of our conditioning, something that perhaps we've gone through that's left its mark... whether it's something that affects what excites us or what repulses us, the more we can see that, that there's no blame, there's no shame, it's just seeing the imprint and not being driven by it. It's possible to not be driven by it or or have a sense, oh, because this happened to me. I am this way or I will be always this way, the more we can wake up to our full aliveness, in our being. A couple of things more I'll, I'll mention. Um, this yearning for intimacy. Um, uh, many years ago I came across a really helpful model for intimacy. That made sense to me that there's different levels that people, two people, can be intimate on. And as I recall, I don't know where I, what the source was. I actually want to Google it and see if it's somewhere out there in the ethers to give this person credit, whoever it was. But I remember there was, it was named, there are, in this model, six levels of intimacy that two people can share there's proximity. We're just kind of in the same space. Then a feeling of affinity, where you're just kind of feeling comfortable with this other being. And then moving, if it deepens, to um, affection. It's not just a friendship, or a feeling of comfort, but a real connection and affection. Then As that grows, there can be a sense of real trust. And as the trust matures, then the intimacy in a healthy relationship on a um, a sexual level, possibility, and of course there's lots of different kinds of relationships. And this can go up to those first four levels for any kind of relationship, not just a, a sexual one. But if the trust is strong and there's real affection in a healthy relationship, it can become um, an erotic expression of intimacy. And then the, 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 uh, the, the deepest, or the closest, is genital intimacy. That all makes sense. Right? But what happens, or what can happen, is two people think that they're being intimate with each other, one person is on one level of intimacy, and the other one is on a different one. So, one person is saying, wow, this is great how I'm building a sense of affection and trust. And that is what is needed for there to be a flowering on the uh, the other levels. Another person, often, dare I say it, a guy, uh, <laughs> says, oh, intimacy? Yeah, let's connect. Oh, trust? You know, affection? Well, yeah, that sounds good. But it's not always, I don't want to generalize so much that way. But often it can go that way just because of the biological wiring, I think as much as anything. But when two people are on different levels of intimacy and they think, oh, yes, I'm getting so close with this person. And then after... They become sexually intimate. The, uh, the the awakening happens. Like, oh my goodness, they're not on the same level than I am. They want more of me, or oh, they don't want what I want. That gets very confusing. So, it all is about really good communication, I, I, I think. And I um, one other short anecdote I'll I'll mention. After my first three-month retreat, uh, there were uh, there was one person who I really felt a a, a wonderful connection with. Uh, This person is is still a friend, actually, 30 years later. And uh, I was driving back to New York City. I was getting a ride back to New York City. No, one of us was getting a ride back, I forget, and the other one was driving. And there we were, in the in the car. After three months, you kind of get a sense of sometimes of the vibe, and it was amazing. We just we were so honest and open, and we just kept on saying, "Are you being mindful? No. Well, what's happening for you right now? Well, this is what's happening for me." And it was the first time I'd ever had the experience of really tracking with another person what was going on. And we weren't intimate, we became intimate, but it was like – and we, we knew we weren't soulmates. that's the thing. I mean that was also part of the, part of the exploration. And it can happen, as long as there's really clear communication. But to be that present and tracking, it was a whole other dimension of communication. The third precept, just want to say a few things about it. It's usually talked about as not causing harm, refraining from causing harm. But I see the precepts not just as avoiding harm, but as, as I said in the the joy uh, course, habits of happiness, that they can be sources of happiness. And around this precept, If we're with an appropriate partner, then this precept is not just causing harm, but giving pleasure. Not what's in it for me, but enjoying the generosity of spirit to actually um, know that you can be the source of pleasure for somebody else. Isn't that wonderful? That doesn't enter people's minds often in, in sexual relations, unless there's a real maturing and a real love, and that, and a, a kind of getting beyond um, that immature love. But then, on the other side, if it's not with somebody, if we're with pe- somebody who's not an appropriate partner, what does the third precept mean? For me, it means uh, respecting boundaries. Not just respecting boundaries so you don't cause harm, but offering safety to another being. That you can actually, by you not being a threat, by you not having wanting anything from them, there's a sense of relief and safety and ease that we can give to another person. I learned this um, a number of years ago. It was a very um, important lesson for me. I um, was on a retreat, was up in Canada, and um, there was somebody on the retreat, um, an attractive woman, you know, definitely, she's about 30, so in her 30s, and, and when she came in for the interview, she was very withdrawn and um, just kind of shut in, guarded and she didn't make eye contact. And I could see, you know, it was easy to feel that, that energy and I I hadn't said anything to her before, so I didn't take it personally. And I didn't I wasn't asking her about details of her practice. I just said, um, how are you doing and do you have any questions? And you know, while we were there. I was just sending her loving kindness because I could feel the whatever she was carrying around um, was was painful. And just doing that, and it was a relatively brief interview, and uh, and that was that. And I was aware of her through the retreat, but you know, I didn't want to. I wanted to make clear the boundaries. Towards the end of the retreat, actually, it was just before I was giving a talk, I was walking across the. The, uh, um, the grounds uh, getting my talk together and she came up to me and said, I have to talk to you. And I said, okay. It was the first time she opened up her mouth and she said, I have to talk to you. And I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm giving a talk but she's opening up to me. So I just hoped that I could get through the talk. You know, it, I had some notes there. And I said, yeah, tell me what's on your mind. And she said, um, I've never told this to anyone, um, but um, I've, been, uh, I've been terrified of men for the last 17 years. Uh, and I need to talk to a man that I can trust, because I think there's a healing that needs to happen here. She told me that when she was 15... She got drunk with a bunch of friends, and this guy that she was with raped her and She was left out in the middle of nowhere and it was she she somehow made it home completely intoxicated and When she got home her um, uh, her father um, thought that she was a willing participant and had all kinds of reactions and called her you know, a slut and all these kinds of, And here she was completely traumatized. And her father, when he did that, it, it really traumatized her. And she went into this tailspin of, of lack of esteem and, abu- and self-destruction and drug abuse. And she said, that was a turning point in my life. And I've felt like I've been... Um, I've not been able to trust a man since. And, I, and she got into a lot of abusive relationships, actually, since. And she said, I, needed to, I need to talk to you about this. I needed to say this to you because you're the first man I felt that I could trust because it didn't seem like you wanted anything from me. She was attractive and I'm sure guys would look at her when she came into a room. And um, and we're still friends, actually. And it was really, it was a turning point for me to see the gift that you can give somebody by not wanting anything from them and just really caring about them in a way that's not threatening. And since that time it's it's given me a whole other dimension of being with, with people who have that karma of being pretty and attractive, and and can easily have their antenna out. It always comes down to intention in our minds and in our hearts. You know, we can have a hugging well, the California particularly but all, all over these days you know hugging is such a is a way that you greet people but when you're hugging it could be a whole dimension of hugging practice what chakra are you in when you hug and to really listen honestly inside is there any hook is there any energy that you're putting out unconsciously that's saying maybe Maybe, whatever your maybe is. Are we acting from a wanting mind? And if so, what are we wanting? Are we wanting to get something? Are we wanting to give? Are we wanting to offer? So I just here's a few reflections, questions to reflect. And maybe if we have a few moments, uh to any comments. I'd just like you to go inside and you can take any one of these as a, a, a something to practice with this week, or Just let them settle right now in your heart and in your mind. What areas around sexuality do you tend to go unconscious? reflect for a moment, what is your conditioning about your body? About being a man or a woman, being in a man's body or a woman's body? Just to bring more awareness to this. What's your conditioning around sexuality? with no blame, that we're all just products of our conditioning. You might explore your conditioning, and perhaps, where have you been wounded, if you have been? Or what needs healing? finally, how can you become more conscious around this topic, around sexuality, so that you can be freer? You can be wiser. You can be more compassionate. What would it be like be more and more free of your conditioning and have peace in your heart with however this manifests. Not much time. Um, that would be really neat to go for another hour and just see what's on people's minds. Um, um, any, if there is something that a, a question or a, an important comment that um, that feels like should be shared. Yes. Here. And here, if you just bring it to it and, uh, and put it right, right, real close. Yeah. I have a question. I heard from a Hindu scholar that they believe that we take on another person's karma when we're sexually intimate with them. And I'm wondering what Buddhism, what the stance on, you know, what do Buddhists believe regarding that? I don't know. <laughs> i you know i i think I think that can be a dangerous idea, yeah so i for me i just i I take what's you I take what 's useful and I leave the rest and I have no idea the Buddha said you know you go crazy trying to figure out how karma works it's 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 hard enough you know living out our own karma uh, taking out taking on somebody's karma, if you can hold that in a way that you are coming from as clean a place as possible and being of benefit to them, wonderful. But to take on something and carry it around as a weight, that's not useful at all. So I I don't think in those terms. Anything, Anything else that's really on someone's Okay. So then, uh, I would encourage you, as long as the topic is up. Notice how much the topic comes up in your mind. That's one thing, by the way. Not just because I spoke about it tonight. We're doing it here. Notice how much, it, how regularly it comes up. No blame, guilt, anything. You're just inquiring, okay, and so you can be more awake in this. Notice what it comes up, notice how you are in different environments, and um, just become more aware of what it's like to be conscious of this with no embarrassment, with no guilt, not giving more information than you need, but um, just waking up to this powerful force in our life. Because as we as said at the beginning, it can be a force of great connection and intimacy uh, when it's done consciously. And the alternative isn't so good. So, um, just to wake up to it. Alright, so uh, do a short loving kindness. Feel your heart center and breathe in benevolent energy from Life around you—it's here for you, and let it fill your whole being with the goodness in life, and touching the goodness in your heart, and fill in your being, and let that aliveness radiate out as a gift to all beings, and send some. Um, thoughts of well-wishing to yourself. May I become more conscious in the places that I get confused. May I share my love wisely, skillfully. May I love myself completely just as I am. May I awaken to my true nature. And then to extend these thoughts to everyone here, and to all beings everywhere. As I want to be happy, may all beings find happiness in their lives. May all see through their confusion and not cause harm. May all learn to share their love well, wisely, skillfully. May all awaken to their true nature And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com